0: Section 17 of Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Schneider. Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates by Howard Pyle. Compiled by Merle Johnson. The Ruby of Kishmoor. Part 1 prologue a very famous pirate of his day was captain robertson kite before embarking upon his later career of infamy he was in the beginning very well known as a reputable merchant in the island of jamaica thence entering first of all upon the business of the african trade he presently by regular degrees became a pirate and finally ended his career as one of the most renowned freebooters of history the remarkable adventure through which he at once reached the pinnacle of success and became in his profession the most famous figure of his day was the capture of the rajah of kishmur's great ship the Sun of the east in this vessel was the rajah's favorite queen who together with her attendants was set upon a pilgrimage to mecca the court of this great oriental potentate was as may be readily supposed fairly a glitter with gold and jewels so that what with such personal adornments that the queen and her attendants had fetched with them besides an ample treasury for the expenses of the expedition an incredible prize of gold and jewels rewarded the freebooters for their successful adventure among the precious stones taken in this great purchase was the splendid ruby of kishmore this as may be known to the reader was one of the world's greatest gems and was unique alike both for its prodigious size and the splendor of its color the precious jewel the rajah of kishmore had upon a certain occasion bestowed upon his queen and at the time of her capture she wore it as the centrepiece of a sort of coronet which encircled her forehead and brow the seizure by the pirate of so considerable a person as that of the queen of kishmore and of the enormous treasure that he found aboard her ship would alone have been sufficient to have established his fame but the capture of so extraordinary a prize as that of the ruby which was in itself worth the value of an entire oriental kingdom exalted him at once to the very highest pinnacle of renown having achieved the capture of this incredible prize our captain scuttled the great ship and left her to sink with all on board three lascars of the crew alone escaped to bear the news of this tremendous disaster to an astounded world as may readily be supposed it was now no longer possible for captain kite to hope to live in such comparative obscurity as he had before enjoyed his was now too remarkable a figure in the eyes of the world several expeditions from various parts were immediately fitted out against him and it presently became no longer compatible with his safety to remain thus clearly outlined before the eyes of the world accordingly he immediately set about seeking such security as he might now hope to find which he did the more readily since he had now at one cast so entirely fulfilled his most sanguine expectations of good fortune and of fame thereafter accordingly the adventures of our captain became of a more apocryphal sort it was known that he reached the west indies in safety for he was once seen at port royal and twice at spanish town in the island of jamaica thereafter however he disappeared nor was it until several years later that the world heard anything concerning him one day a certain nicholas stuckworthy who had once been gunner aboard the pirate captain's own ship the good fortune Was arrested in the town of bristol in the very act of attempting to sell to a merchant of that place several valuable gems from a quantity which he carried with him tied in a red bandana handkerchief in the confession of which duckworthy afterward delivered himself he declared that captain kite after his first adventure having sailed from africa in safety and so reached the shores of the new world had wrecked the good fortune on a coral reef off the windward islands that he then immediately deserted the ship and together with duckworthy himself a sailing-master who was portuguese the captain of a brig the bloody hand a consort of kites and a villainous rascal named hunt who occupying no precise position among the pirates was at once the instigator of and the partaker in the greatest part of captain kites wickednesses made his way to the nearest port of safety these five worthies at last fetched the island of jamaica bringing with them all the jewels and some of the gold that had been captured from the Sun of the east but upon coming to a division of their booty it was presently discovered that the rajah's ruby had mysteriously disappeared from the collection of jewels to be divided The other pirates immediately suspected their captain of having secretly purloined it and indeed so certain were they of his turpitude that they immediately set about taking means to force a confession from him in this however they were so far unsuccessful that the captain refusing to yield to their importunities had suffered himself to die under their hands and so had carried the secret of the hiding-place of the great ruby if he possessed such a secret along with him duckworthy concluded his confession by declaring that in his opinion he himself the portuguese sailing-master the captain of the bloody hand and hunt were the only ones of captain kite's crew who were now alive for that the good fortune must have broken up in a storm which immediately followed their desertion of her in which event the entire crew must inevitably have perished it may be added that duckworthy himself was shortly hanged so that if his surmise was true there were now only three left alive of all that wicked crew that had successfully carried to its completion the greatest adventure which any pirate in the world had ever perhaps embarked upon one jonathan rugg you may never know what romantic aspirations may lie hidden beneath the most sedate and sober demeanor to have observed jonathan rugg who was a tall lean loose-jointed young quaker of a somewhat forbidding aspect with straight dark hair and a bony overhanging forehead set into a frown a pair of small deep-set eyes and a square jaw no one would for a moment have suspected that he concealed beneath so serious an exterior any appetite for romantic adventure nevertheless finding himself suddenly transported as it were from the quiet of so sober a town as that of philadelphia to the tropical enchantment of kingston in the island of jamaica the night brilliant with a full moon that swung in an oval sky the warm and luminous darkness replete with the mysteries of a tropical night and burdened with the odors of a land breeze he suddenly discovered himself to be overtaken with so vehement a desire of some unwonted excitement that had the opportunity presented itself he felt himself ready to embrace any adventure with the utmost eagerness no matter whither it would have conducted him at home where he was a clerk in the counting-house of a leading merchant by name jeremiah doolittle should such idle fancies have come to him he would have looked upon himself as little better than a fool but now that he found himself for the first time in a foreign country surrounded by such strange and unusual sights and sounds all conducive to extravagant imaginations the wish for some extraordinary and altogether unusual experience took possession of him with a singular vehemence to which he had heretofore been altogether a stranger in the street where he stood which was of a shining whiteness and which reflected the effulgence of the moonlight with an incredible distinction he observed stretching before him long lines of white garden walls overtopped by a prodigious luxuriance of tropical foliage in these gardens and set close to the street stood several pretentious villas and mansions the slatted blinds and curtains of the windows of which were raised to admit of the freer entrance of the cool and balmy air of the night from within there issued forth bright lights together with the exhilarating sound of merry voices laughing and talking or perhaps a song accompanied by the tinkling music of a spinet or of a guitar an occasional group of figures clad in light and summer-like garments and adorned with gay and startling colors passed him through the moonlight so that what with the brightness and warmth of the night together with all these unusual sights and sounds it appeared to jonathan rugg that he was rather the inhabitant of some extraordinary land of enchantment and unreality than a dweller upon that sober and solid world in which he had heretofore passed his entire existence before continuing this narrative the reader may here be informed that our hero had come into this enchanted world as the supercargo of the ship susanna hayes of philadelphia that he had for several years proved himself so honest and industrious a servant to the merchant house of the worthy jeremiah doolittle that that benevolent man had given to his well-deserving clerk this opportunity at once of gratifying an inclination for foreign travel and of filling a position of trust which should redound to his individual profit the susanna hayes had entered kingston harbor that afternoon and this was jonathan's first night in those tropical latitudes whither his fancy and imagination had so often carried him while he stood over the desk filing the accounts of invoices from foreign parts it may be finally added that had he at all conceived how soon and to what a degree his sudden inclination for adventure was to be gratified his romantic aspirations might have been somewhat dashed at the prospect that lay before him two the mysterious lady with the silver veil at that moment our hero suddenly became conscious of the fact that a small wicket in a wooden gate near which he stood had been opened and that the eyes of an otherwise concealed countenance were observing him with the utmost closeness of scrutiny he had hardly time to become aware of this observation of his person when the gate itself was opened and there appeared before him in the moonlight the bent and crooked figure of an aged negress She was clad in a Calamanco raiment and was further adorned with a variety of gaudily colored trimmings, vastly suggestive of the tropical world of which she was an inhabitant. Her woolly head was enveloped, after the fashion of her people, in the folds of a gigantic and flaming red turban constructed of an entire pocket handkerchief her face was pock-pitted to an incredible degree so that what with this deformity emphasized by the pouting of her prodigious and shapeless lips and the rolling of a pair of eyes as yellow as saffron jonathan rugg thought that he had never beheld a figure at once so extraordinary and so repulsive it occurred to our hero that here maybe was to overtake him such an adventure as that which he had just a moment before and desiring so ardently nor was he mistaken for the negress first looking this way and then that with an extremely wary and cunning expression and apparently having satisfied herself that the street for the moment was pretty empty of passers beckoned to him to draw nearer when he had approached close enough to her she caught him by the sleeve and instantly drawing him into the garden beyond shut and bolted the gate with a quickness and a silence suggestive of the most extravagant secrecy at the same moment a huge negro suddenly appeared from the shadow of the gate-post and so placed himself between jonathan and the gate that any attempt to escape would inevitably have entailed conflict upon our hero's part with the sable and giant guardian says the negress looking very intently at our hero be you afeard buckra why no quoth jonathan for to tell thee the truth friend though i am a man of peace being of that religious order known as the society of friends i am not so weak in person nor so timid in disposition as to warrant me in being afraid of any one indeed were i of a mind to escape i might without boasting declare my belief that i should be able to push my way past even a better man than thy large friend who stands so threateningly in front of yonder gate at these words the negress broke into so prodigious a grin that in the moonlight it appeared as though the whole lower part of her face had been transformed into shining teeth you be a brave buckra said she in her gibbering english you come wid melina and melina take you to pretty lady who want you to eat supper wid her thereupon and allowing our hero no opportunity to decline the extraordinary invitation even had he been of a mind to do so she took him by the hand and led him toward the large and imposing house which commanded the garden indeed said jonathan to himself as he followed his sable guide himself followed in turn by the gigantic negro indeed i am like to have my fill of adventure if anything is to be judged from such a beginning as this nor did the interior sumptuousness of the mansion at all belie the imposing character of its exterior for entering by way of an illuminated veranda and so coming into a brilliantly lighted hallway beyond jonathan beheld himself to be surrounded by such a wealth of exquisite and well-appointed tastefulness as it had never before been his good fortune to behold candles of clarified wax sparkled like stars in chandeliers of crystal these in turn catching the illumination glittered in prismatic fragments with all the varied colors of the rainbow so that a mellow yet brilliant radiance filled the entire apartment polished mirrors of a spotless clearness framed in gold frames and built into the walls reflected the waxed floors the rich oriental carpets and the sumptuous paintings that hung against the ivory tinted panelling so that in appearance the beauties of the apartment were continued in bewildering vistas upon every side toward which the beholder directed his gaze bidding our hero to be seated which he did with no small degree of embarrassment and constraint and upon the extreme edge of the gilt and satin-covered chair the negress who had been his conductor left him for the time being to his own contemplation almost before he had an opportunity to compose himself into anything more than a part of his ordinary sedatedness of demeanor the silken curtains at the door at the other end of the apartment were suddenly divided and jonathan beheld before him a female figure displaying the most exquisite contour of mould and of proportion she was clad entirely in white and was enveloped from head to foot in the folds of a veil of delicate silver gauze which though hiding her countenance from recognition nevertheless permitted sufficient of her beauties to be discerned to suggest the extreme elegance and loveliness of her lineaments advancing toward our hero and extending to him a tapering hand as white as alabaster the fingers encircled with a multitude of jewelled rings she addressed him thus sir she said speaking in accents of the most silvery and musical cadence you are no doubt vastly surprised to find yourself thus unexpectedly and almost as by violence introduced into the house of one who is such an entire stranger to you as myself but though i am unknown to you i must inform you that i am better acquainted with my visitor for my agents have been observing you ever since you landed this afternoon at the dock and they have followed you ever since until a little while ago when you stopped immediately opposite my garden gate these agents have observed you with a closeness of scrutiny of which you are doubtless entirely unaware they have even informed me that owing doubtless to your extreme interest in your new surroundings you have not as yet supped knowing this and that you must now be enjoying a very hearty appetite i have to ask you if you will do me the extreme favour of sitting at table with me at a repast which you will doubtless be surprised to learn has been hastily prepared entirely in your honour so saying and giving jonathan no time for reply she offered him her hand and with the most polite insistence conducted him into an exquisitely appointed dining-room adjoining here stood a table covered with a snow-white cloth and embellished with silver and crystal ornaments of every description having seated herself and having indicated to jonathan to take the chair opposite to her the two were presently served with a repast such as our hero had not thought could have existed out of the pages of certain extraordinary oriental tales which one time had fallen to his lot to read this supper which in itself might successfully have tempted the taste of a sybarite was further enhanced by several wines and cordials which filling the room with the aroma of the sunlit grapes from which they had been expressed stimulated the appetite which without them needed no such spur the lady who ate but sparingly herself possessed herself with patience until jonathan's hunger had been appeased when however she beheld that he weakened in his attacks upon the dessert of sweets with which the banquet was concluded she addressed him upon the business which was evidently entirely occupying her mind sir she said you are doubtless aware that every one whether man or woman is possessed of an enemy in my own case i must inform you that i have no less than three who to compass their ends would gladly sacrifice my life itself to their purposes at no time am i safe from their machinations nor have i any one she cried exhibiting a great emotion to whom i may turn in my need it was this that led me to hope to find in you a friend in my perils For having observed through my agents that you are not only honest in disposition and strong in person, but that you are possessed of a considerable degree of energy and determination, I am most desirous of imposing upon your good nature a trust of which you cannot for a moment suspect the magnitude. Tell me, are you willing to assist a poor defenceless female in her hour of trial? Indeed, friend, quoth Jonathan with more vivacity than he usually exhibited with a lenity to which he had heretofore in his lifetime been a stranger being warmed into such a spirit doubtless by the generous wines of which he had partaken indeed friend if i could but see thy face it would doubtless make my decision in such a matter the more favourable since i am inclined to think from the little i can behold of it that thy appearance must be extremely comely to the eye sir said the lady exhibiting some amusement at this unexpected sally i am you must know as god made me some time perhaps i may be very glad to satisfy your curiosity and exhibit to you my poor countenance such as it is but now and here she reverted to her more serious mood i must again put it to you are you willing to help an unprotected woman in a period of very great danger to herself should you decline the assistance which i solicit my slaves shall conduct you to the gate through which you entered and suffer you to depart in peace should you upon the other hand accept the trust you are to receive no reward therefore except the gratitude of one who thus appeals to you in her helplessness for a moment jonathan fell silent for here indeed was he entering into an adventure which infinitely surpassed any anticipation that he could have formed he was besides of a cautious nature and was entirely disinclined to embark on any affair so obscure and tangled as that in which he now found himself becoming involved friend he said at last i may tell thee that thy story has so far moved me as to give me every inclination to help thee in thy difficulties but i must also inform thee that i am a man of caution having never before entered into any business of this sort therefore before giving any promise that may bind my future actions i must in good wisdom demand to know what are the conditions that thou hast in mind to impose upon me indeed sir cried the lady with great vivacity and with more cheerful accents as though her mind had been relieved of a burden of fear that her companion might at once have declined even a consideration of her request indeed sir you will find that the trust which i would impose upon you is in appearance no such great matter as my words have led you to suppose you must know that i am possessed of a little trinket which in the hands of any one who like yourself is a stranger in these parts would possess no significance but which while in my keeping is fraught with infinite menace to me hereupon and having so spoken she clapped her hands and an attendant immediately entered disclosing the person of the same negress who had first introduced jonathan into the strange adventure in which he now found himself involved this creature who appeared still more deformed and repulsive in the brilliantly lighted room than she had in the moonlight carried in her hands a white napkin which she handed to her mistress this being opened disclosed a small ivory ball of about the bigness of a lime nodding to the negress to withdraw the lady handed him the ivory ball and jonathan took it with no small degree of curiosity and examined it carefully It appeared to be of an exceeding antiquity, and of so deep a yellow as to be almost brown in color. It was covered over with strange figures and characters of an oriental sort, which appeared to our hero to be of Chinese workmanship. "'I must tell you, sir,' said the lady, after she had permitted her guest to examine this for a while in silence, that though this appears to you to be of little worth, it is yet of extreme value.' after all however it is nothing but a curiosity that any one who is interested in such matters might possess what i have to ask you is this will you be willing to take this into your charge to guard it with the utmost care and fidelity yes even as the apple of your eye during your continuance in these parts and to return it to me in safety the day before your departure by so doing you will render me a service which you may neither understand nor comprehend but which shall make me your debtor for my entire life by this time jonathan had pretty well composed his mind for a reply friend he said such a matter as this is entirely out of my knowledge of business which is indeed that of a clerk in the mercantile profession nevertheless i have every inclination to help thee though i trust thou mayest have magnified the dangers that beset thee this appears to me to be a little trifle for such an ado nevertheless i will do as thou dost request i will keep it in safety and will return it to thee upon this day a week hence by which time i hope to have discharged my cargo and be ready to continue my voyage to Demerara at these words the lady who had been watching him all the time with a most unaccountable eagerness burst forth into words of such heartfelt gratitude as to entirely overwhelm our hero when her transports had been somewhat assuaged she permitted him to depart and the negress conducted him back through the garden whence she presently showed him through the gate whither he had entered and out into the street That's the end of Section 17, Part 1 of The Ruby of Kishmar.